Okay, so if you were here last week, uh, Abram returns from Egypt, a very rich man, and it's in our text. And it's not just Abram, uh, but verse 5 says Lot, who's his adopted son, became very wealthy as well in Egypt. And that's why we have what's happening uh, in this text. But I just want to say something about riches. Because the actual word for riches in verse 2 is the Hebrew word kaved or kavod which means heavy or burdensome, implying that riches don't necessarily bring a good life, they bring a heavy life, sometimes a burdensome life. Now, two problems arise because of their wealth. First of all, the land is no longer big enough for both of them. There's, there's just not enough space for all the things that they have, and this, too, is what wealth does. It complicates life. It complicates relationships. Wealth just pushes us deeper and deeper into the world and further away from each other and from God. So that's going on. And the second thing that, that is going on is since they've returned from Egypt to Canaan, something has changed in the relationship between Abraham and Lot. We see this in verse 7, that there's conflict, there's, there's tension. The family is divided. In fact, even in, in verse 1 of chapter 13, that reads differently than the first time we are introduced to Abraham and Lot. Uh, in 12 verse 5, it, 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 it's more reading that, that, that Abraham and Lot are together, one happy family. Now it feels like Lot is just kind of tagging along in the back, and that's because there's conflict. And verse 8, I think Abram does what any man should do. He moves into this conflict. And then verse 9, this is his solution. He says, let's part company. In other words, let's just divide this stuff fairly. I don't think you would maybe pick up on this, but what Abram does here is unheard of for that day. Because that world is a patriarchal society, meaning that the oldest male in the family called the shots. And so Abraham, obviously, being so much older than Lot, you know, he should be like, uh, that, that, that's your little parcel right over there. And I get all this. But Abraham does not do that. Abraham even goes beyond treating Lot like a son. He treats him like an equal. And he says, Lot, you go first. You have the first choice. Do you want north or do you want south? And verse 11 tells us, Lot didn't choose north or south. He said, I want east. In other words, what we need to, to understand here is that Lot is leaving the promised land. His heart now is, is set on a whole nother thing. And the trajectory of his life Will follow. So I, I, I want us to see, this isn't just a guy saying, I'd prefer that hilltop to that hilltop. We need to see that with this choice, Lot is abandoning the land. He is abandoning Abram, the one through whom God is blessing, the one through whom God is in partnership to redeem the whole world. It's not an exaggeration to even say that Lot is abandoning God himself. Lot with this choice becomes a prodigal. When I look at Lot, 
And when I look at who his life is hitched to in Abram and all that he could be a part of with all that God now is doing, not just in Abraham, but through Abraham and his family to redeem the whole world. I mean, the potential for, for, for such an incredible life is all there for the taking for Lot. But instead, he, he gets way off track. He never recovers. And in the end, Lot will lose everything. He'll lose his house. He'll lose his possessions. He'll lose his wife. He'll end up living in a cave. And his life legacy will be summed up by his two daughters who get Lot so drunk that they can get impregnated by him. Yes, that's in the Bible. The Bible is a very raw book. But that's Lot's legacy. And this is where we need to ask the question, like, how does this actually happen to someone? Because Lot isn't a loser. He's not a bum. He's a very capable person. In fact, I think if we knew Lot today, we'd probably uh, see a man who's prosperous, maybe a prosperous businessman living this suburban life with wife and two daughters. And when his life could have been part of something huge, it becomes a total waste. Wasted life is not always who we think. It's not always just the bent-over meth addict in the street. A wasted life can be clothed in success and prosperity. It can be a person who has everything that the world has to offer, but who in the end, uh, when it comes to the stuff that really matters, that life amounts to nothing, and it leaves behind nothing. I'm talking in terms of impact. And our text shows us the, the, the stages of, of how this can happen to Lot. Uh, it starts in verse 10. It starts with Lot's eyes. In verse 10, it says that Lot looked up. Literally, that's how it reads. He looked up and he saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar, that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. So what I want us to see here is it's not just what he saw, but... Lot now is seen with more than his eyes. He's now seen with his heart. The eyes of his heart are on the wrong thing. They're in the wrong place. But those eyes are enticed by what he saw. He looked at that Jordan plain. What came to his mind is Egypt. Egypt. Which tells us that when Lot was in, in Egypt, his heart was seduced by Egypt, that he became infatuated with Egypt's riches and prosperity. And so now Lot doesn't he want promised land anymore. Lot wants Egypt. As we said last week, uh, Egypt was uh, the world's superpower at this time. It's a place of immense prosperity. It's the United States, which is why the Bible also uses Egypt metaphorically as that seductive place that allures us. Uh, it symbolizes in the Bible the world and, and, and all the worldly passions, money, sex, power, those kinds of things. That's Egypt. And this seduction always starts with the eyes. That goes all the way back to Eve in the garden. Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, Eve saw that that tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Same thing is going on with Lot. 
And next you see that Lot's life now follows his eyes because in verse 12 it says now he, he pitches his tent near Sodom. And I think if we ask Lot at this time, like, Lot, why, why did you move so close to Sodom? I think he'd say, okay, I get it. I, I understand Sodom's a wicked city, uh, but I'm far enough away from it where I can enjoy all the benefits of this city but still not be corrupted by this city. But what we have to see that he's doing is he's now starting to put fire in his hands. He's playing with it. He's tampering with it. And I... I I, I think, you know, we do the same thing sometimes. You know, how, how often do we think, how close can I get to this? Or how far can I go and, and, and not get burned by the fire that, that I'm playing with or dabbling in? I mean, is there a fire right now that comes to your mind that, that, that you're playing with right now? And you, and you just think, you know, look, I'm not... I'm not far enough in, I'm, I'm still far enough away, I have this whole thing under control, but yet you're still playing with it, you're still dabbling with it. Now I'll tell you why we actually, in our minds, think that we can play with fire, why we can dabble with it, is either we respect too much our ability to be able to say no, our willpower, or we respect way too little the destructive, seductive power of sin. Sin's potent. And again, when, when I'm thinking fires right now, I'm not just thinking about the obvious fires like dabbling in an illicit relationship or sexual sin or partaking in addictive substances from alcohol to gambling or even the phones that we all carry around in our pocket. I mean, just think about all the addictions that, that our phone can just bring into our lives from porn to social media to Netflix but what about some of the less obvious things that we can dabble with? Uh, dabbling in gossip. Dabbling in a little deceit. You know, those lies that we like to believe about ourselves, to justify ourselves, or the lies that we propagate about other people to make ourselves feel, feel better. Uh, some of us are dabbling right now in entitlement. Some of us are dabbling in false narratives. Some are dabbling in self-promotion, self-absorption, self-righteousness. Listen, we play with fire for too long. It's just a matter of time before we get burned. Because what we see next in Lot, uh, when you go into the next chapter, in chapter 14, verse 12, is now Lot isn't just living close to the city in a tent, but he's given up the tent for an actual home in Sodom. And what I want us to, to see here, it's not that Lot then just made the choice to move into another neighborhood, but this is... Actually, Lot's choice to develop a whole new set of convictions, different values, a different lifestyle, uh, a different God. And that's why the next verse, in verse 13, I mean, uh, what the text wants us to see is just how wicked Sodom is. And we know some of uh, the, the wickedness of Sodom. Uh, but I, I think the wickedness that comes to our mind is oftentimes the fruit but we need to also know what that, the root of, of, of what's going on in a place like Sodom. And Ezekiel 16, verse 48, doing commentary on the sin of Sodom, says, Now this is the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, daughters there are 
the little towns and villages that are, that are near a city. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were proud. They were arrogant. <laughs> so the root sin of Sodom is, this is a city that reeks of selfish ambition where everybody's living for themselves. Like Babel, uh, everybody is trying to climb the ladder, make a name for themselves. And all that sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I mean, that's where we live today. And hopefully some of you right now are asking, though, wait a second, doesn't God uh, want us to go into pagan places? Doesn't he want us to live in, in cities like Sodom? Uh, I mean, certainly uh, you see this in the biblical narrative that God is constantly calling his people to live on Main Street, <laughs> to live in cities. Jesus, when he raises up his disciples and then sends them out. They all are targeting the cities of their day. And many of these cities from Corinth to Rome are very pagan cities. They went right into the heart of these cities. But they went into the cities as disciples of Jesus on mission for the kingdom of heaven. That's not why Lot is moving into the city. Lot is moving into the city because of his own selfish ambition. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. It's just pushing a lot deeper and deeper into that city and into the world. Then you keep reading the Genesis narrative, and by the time you get to chapter 19, verse 1, it says that Lot is sitting in the gates of the city. The city is Sodom, that he's sitting in the gates. And sitting in the gates is a technical term in the Bible uh, for a ruler or a judge. This is where the big boys sat. They sat in the gates. And so Lot did go to the city. He did climb the ladder. He rises to, uh, to the ranks of power and influence. In fact, many commentators suggest that Lot has become the mayor of this city, the mayor of Sodom. And now the question becomes, who's influencing who? Is Lot influencing Sodom or is Sodom influencing Lot? And I think we know the answer to that question because when Lot and his family finally escape Sodom, the one thing God says to Lot and his family, just don't look back, don't turn back. Uh, but his wife can't help herself. She looks back. And that looking back at Sodom is a picture of her heart. The eyes of her heart are still so set on Sodom. And Lot, I mean, you look at his life, what it could have been, what it should have been, and yet what it became and what it was, it's just a life that's so wasted. And then you look at how he wasted it. He wasted it as a worldly successful man in a worldly successful place. This would probably be a great place to ask the question. What kind of life are you living right now? Are you living a life like Abram, this big life for God? A life that right now counts for Christ and his kingdom? Or are you living a life like Lot? A life wasted, no impact, no legacy, because you're so immersed in this world. I think 
All of this comes down to three questions. The first is what kind of eyes do you have? In verse 10, it says that Lot's eyes are looking away from God, away from promised land, and and all uh, the promises uh, that that land represented from God. He's not looking at that. His eyes are set on Sodom. And yet verse 14 says, Abraham's eyes are looking up. He has his eyes set on God. He is looking to God. He is looking at the promises of God as as he is looking at that land. In fact, when, when Lot looks, it's Lot directing his eyes. But when Abraham looks, it's God directing Abram's eyes. And this is a subtle but a huge difference because we desperately need God directing our eyes, showing us what we should be looking at, what we should be seeking, because if not, I know this about my eyes, my eyes will always default to what Lot's eyes go to. So where are you lifting your eyes? And do you realize that right now, like what you're setting your eyes on will determine and dictate the course of your life? This is why Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Or I like how the hymn writer put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. Where are you looking right now? What are the eyes of your heart set on? Second question is, what land are you living for? Because this text teaches that there are two lands, and and, and these two lands are also representative of not just physical space, but also spiritual realities that will be developed more in the the narrative. Uh, The first land is Egypt. And Egypt is that land of seduction that, that can so quickly seduce us and draw us in, but then turn our whole life into a waste. Now here's where we need to ask this question then. If Egypt has the power to do that, then what is, why the seduction? Why is Egypt so seductive? Look at verse 10. It says, Lot looked at the Jordan plain. His eyes all of a sudden were just melted by that Jordan plain. And he saw that it was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like Egypt. So think about what's going on in his heart. Lot didn't just equate that Jordan plain with Egypt, but now he's also equating it with Eden. He's like, that plane right there is like the garden of the Lord. And see, whether we know this or not, ever since Adam and Eve uh, have been expelled from that garden, we are all desperately trying to get back into that garden because we weren't made for this world the way it is. God made us for a garden, for the garden of the Lord. And, And our hearts deep down know this which is why there's this deep longing because God made us for himself. God made us to know him where we are to walk with God and talk with God in the cool of the day 
where we not only know God, but God knows us. And, and in all of this relationship, we, we know who we are. We know why we're here. We know our incredible worth and significance and value as God's kids. But outside that garden, all of that is lost. We are lost, and we live with this void, this massive void. You know that void. You know that void every time you lose something that you love. You can feel it. But that void that you are feel, feeling is, is, is just a drop in the ocean compared to the void of losing the garden for which we were made. Because when we lost it, our worth, our value, all that was crushed, our security, our identity, our joy, our satisfaction, it was all shattered. We lost God, the one for whom we were made, leaving us in this perpetual state of longing and just grasping for the shalom that we were made for. This is why we set our eyes. We set our eyes on things that will... That, that we think will get us back into the garden, give us the sense of worth and identity and purpose that we're loved. And for Lot, it was just prosperity and riches. If only I could get that. If only I could live in that place. If only I could become this. Then I'll feel complete and satisfied. And see, what Lot wants is he wants the garden of the Lord without the Lord, not knowing that what made the garden, the garden is the presence of the Lord that our hearts long for. What about you? Do you ever ask yourself honest questions? I mean, what are you looking at right now? What are you looking to? What are you seeking? Thinking that that's the garden of the Lord. What's your Egypt? If only I could get that. If only I could become that. If only I could uh, achieve this. Then my worth and significance would be complete and I'd feel like I'm, I'm loved. And listen, our, our Egypt doesn't always have to just be money, sex, or power. It could be comfort. It could be landing that great job or getting that promotion. It could be a relationship or a relationship that we think we need. It could be your ministry. It could be your reputation. It could be your role as a parent. It could be a national championship. Hey, you knew I'd throw that in there, right? <laughs> I mean, Egypt is anything apart from God that we set our eyes on, that we think will give us our name, our worth, our value, our security, our satisfaction. It's whatever we look to apart from God that we think will get us back in. And guess what? Right now, only you know what that is. This is why you can be physically present in the family of God. You can be present in church. In fact, you can even be a leader. You can be a pastor. You can be an elder. But still your heart is seduced by Egypt. You want Egypt. Now the other land is promised land. I love verse 14. I'm talking about lot a lot, but uh, Abraham kind of gets lost in this text a little bit because God in verse 14 is pastoring Abram's broken heart. Abram is devastated. 
with the departure of Lot. Not only has he lost a son, but all God's promises for this 75-year-old man in Abram's mind, that Abram's going to have a great family, Abram's thinking, well, it has to be Lot. And so when Lot goes, he didn't just lose his son, he also lost the hope of all those promises that he walked a thousand miles for. It's done. And this is why God says, Abram, let me take you to a high hill. And I want you to look out. And I want you to look at the promised land. Because nothing's done right now. All my promises are yes and amen. Just look at it. Set your mind and heart on it. You know, because I know the land so well, I've been there, I don't know, 40, 50 times. And I know exactly almost where Abram is standing, and I know what he's looking at. So this is what he's looking at. This is promised land. This is a land flowing with milk and honey. If you're wondering right now, wait, am I looking at a desert? Yes, you are. (laughs) Over two-thirds of promised land is desert. And listen to what God says about promised land in Deuteronomy 11. He says, the land, Israel, that you are now entering to take over is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you planted your seed, you irrigated it by foot as in a vegetable garden. No, the land that you are taking possession of is a land of mountains and valleys that drinks its rain. Its water comes from heaven. In other words, promised land is not Egypt because Egypt had the Nile, which meant there was always this abundance of water. You could always look down and see water everywhere. And you're all always sloshing about in water. God says, not promised land. Promised land is where you got to look up. And you have to trust me and you have to call out to me for every drop. That's promised land. And see, this is why it, it, it's difficult to, to, to set our mind and heart sometimes on pr- promised land. This is why it's so easy for us in our hearts to abandon God, to, to stop trusting that he is good, especially in times of famine. And then when we can have an Egypt with its already inbuilt irrigation where we don't ever have to look up and trust God for the rain or we don't need to depend on him. But here's the deal. When we abandon God, We miss out on what God says next about this land. He says, this is a land the Lord your God cares for. And the eyes of the Lord your God are always on this land from the beginning of the year to its end. Abram, how about you look at the land that I look at all the time, that I care for. See, here's the, here's the irony. Promised land, even though it doesn't look like it, is Eden. Promised land is where God speaks. Promised land is where God appears. Promised land is where God makes his home. 
promised land is where that huge void in our hearts and lives is filled and healed. Promised land is where we get to walk and talk with God in the cool of the day. Which is why right now, promised land is not a piece of real estate. Promised land is God, God's people in God's place who are walking with God and priesting God's presence into a world that he loves. Which land do you seek? Egypt or promised land? To which land right now do you belong? Two kinds of lands, two kinds of eyes. Lastly, there are two ways to live. Lot and Abraham are living two very different lives. Lot essentially is living a life that is all about Lot. It's about Lot's comfort, Lot's well-being, Lot's security, Lot's having the best. It's exactly where Abram was last chapter. Remember when Abram sacrificed his own wife for his own comfort? That's the way of Egypt. That's what makes Egypt, Egypt. It's, it's the place where people live your life for me. And see, this is why as good as Egypt looks on the outside, Egypt on the inside is full of chaos. See, when a marriage becomes Egypt, your life for me, that marriage becomes chaos. When a family uh, becomes your life for my life, it becomes Egypt, chaos. Uh, a business, a community, a church. Uh, it can happen to, to anyone, uh, to any organization, to any team. When it's your life for me. That's how Lot walks. That's how Lot lives. Look at Abraham. Abraham came back from Egypt. A broken man. A changed man. And even though he's wealthy, that stuff is irrelevant to him. He isn't hanging on tightly to the things of this world. He's hanging on tightly to God. He's not even looking to Egypt. He's not even tempted by Sodom. Because he has found the garden of the Lord and he's walking with God. This is why Abram can say, hey, Lot, you go first. You get the first pick. You take the best land. He's not living your life for my life. He's living my life for your life. That's what this whole thing is about. When God uh, inaugurated his plan to redeem the world, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And bless, we learned, means literally to bend the knee. I'm going to make myself small, says God to Abraham, to make you great. I'm going to disadvantage myself to bring advantage to you so that you, Abraham, can bless, so that you can bend the knee, so you can disadvantage yourself, make yourself small to make others great. Isaiah 58, this text, God's, this is God's heart. Is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked, clothe him. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. And if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, satisfy the needs of the oppressed, your light will rise in the darkness. Listen to this. The Lord your God will guide you and he will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. When we live my life for you as opposed to your life for me, 
That is the promise of God. We will become the garden of the Lord. Are you a garden right now? And here is, here's Abram, and, and, and he's devastated. Lot is the only son that he has. So he's thinking all God's promises are staked in Lot, which is why Abram, in his mind, he needs Lot. So when Lot fails, guess what? The story doesn't fail. And we're going to learn how God is going to hold true to his promises in such a miraculous way. And eventually the story is going to keep going and going and going until it comes to that promised son that God promised to Eve, that God is now promising to Abram, who's going to come and redeem the whole world. And when it comes to this ultimate son, he's going to have the same experience of Abraham, except this time it's going to be the evil one who's going to take him up a mountain. He's going to tempt him the way he tempted Eve and say, did God really say that? Did he really say, here are the kingdoms and for you to be the king? That you need to die on a cross and be humiliated? Hey, Jesus, how about we do this my way? Here's the land. Here's all the kingdoms. You can be king of it all, but without the foolishness of that cross, be a king like all the other kings, do power my way, say to the world, your life for me. But Jesus resists that temptation and being true to the heart of his father and true to his call, he is exalted as king of kings and lord of lords by being lifted high, high on a cross. He bends the knee. He becomes small. He becomes nothing. His life for our life. What kind of eyes do you have? Are your eyes lifted up to God or you have eyes that are set on the empty stuff of this world? What land are you seeking? Promised land or Egypt? What kind of life are you living? Is it your life for my life or is it my life for your life? Lot wasted his life and left a tragic legacy. Abraham lived a big life, an exalted life. Millions of people to this day still call him Father Abraham. Remember last week how far Abram fell? I mean, his, his, his failure was massive. But Abram's failure actually makes him where Lot's failure actually destroys him. And what's the difference? Abram does the one thing Lot never has the guts to do. Abram humbles himself and he repents. And that's what we see in the first verse of chapter 13, coming up back from Egypt. He is retracing his steps. He is returning in silence as a broken man. Verse 4, he seeks his place of worship. And in that place, he calls out on the name of the Lord. Lot could have done the same thing. He could have turned from Egypt and he could have returned to God. He could have humbled himself. 
When is the last time you turned and returned to God? You turned from Egypt. Or you even had the guts to pray, Holy Spirit, would you right now put your finger on the Egypt of my life? Would you show it to me? Search my heart, oh God, and know me. And then God's Spirit caused my heart to return to you. This is the difference between Lot and Abram. And maybe 2024 would be the year where this church gets serious about our eyes, the land that we're seeking, and the lives that we're living all for the glory of God. Let's pray. God, I'm just thinking of the verse, if my people will humble themselves and turn from their Egypt, their wicked ways, and return to me, I will heal them, says the Lord. I just pray, God, that there would be massive repentance in our lives for your glory that we could experience you, God, in that, in your love and your kindness and your goodness, your arms, your embrace. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.